Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an informed and expert look at actor Nicolas Cage's contemporary filmography. On today's episode, we're watching Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. a long goddamn title Derek well it's longer when you have to take it like three or four times to get it right yeah it's a long wordy title uh for this week's movie the bad lieutenant port of call new orleans yep person is, place and thing is that a, is the port of call a place in new orleans we didn't learn from the movie oh we learned from that movie <laughs> oh yeah we learned some other stuff uh how you doing Derek pretty good um, my name, of course, is David Tress, your host, and I'm here with the other host of the show, Derek Smith. I'm the other host. Yeah. Call me the other one. <laughs> the other host, yeah. Because um, I didn't want to give you, like, co-host status, because that's just a real power play on my part. But um, I am uh, subjecting you to the other host. Excellent. I uh, take the honor and the responsibility. And that's, if you ever use this on a resume, I expect it to read Derek Smith other host other host of contemporary cage the, the hit podcast yep um how you doing I good I told you I know what I do you have anything else to say doing great no I'm <laughs> yeah, it's a little hot it's a little hot up here yeah it's a little uh swampy perfect for a movie set in Louisiana yeah that's true um yeah we like to try to pair our own environment our own atmosphere as closely as possible to the environment the temp uh the temperature of the films that we're watching yeah so we got real fucking swampy up in this joint right now yes um and when we watched which is <laughs> is a problem because all of his movies are set in new orleans so it's always just a little swamp in here yeah, we should move the podcast headquarters. Our equipment gets destroyed every episode because it's so humid. All all of uh, a lot of moisture in the devices. So that's we have why to... we need you to support us. Yes, that's why we're launching a double money making campaign on GoFundMe, Kickstarter, Patreon. We are on all of them. Indiegogo's double money. Yeah, campaign. Um, yeah, and hopefully we get uh some. It's just a real good cash grab from all of those places, and um, we can buy a switch finally. Well, it's just sort of like sync up with the rate um, at which our equipment's being destroyed from the swampy atmosphere. Yeah, in sure. The, in the studio, I'm just kidding. We're not doing any of those. Don't we? Don't we? Don't we're not, we're yeah. not NPR guys. We, we, we legit, don't gonna sink that low. We legit don't deserve any money for doing this. This is our own doing. It's our curse to live with, and um, we've done this to ourselves, and we don't ask anyone else to take responsibility for these bad decisions but if you want to send us presents you're more than <laughs> yeah, welcome. our p.o box is <laughs> uh just email us at what's the email contemporarycage at gmail.com i'm gonna say it at the top of the show this time because that guys that it's a little um unlike our room it's a little uh just cold and arid in that email inbox yeah not a lot i'm getting uh nothing at tumbleweed.org i'm getting like some just like twitter notifications soundcloud notifications which i i get excited for every time it's like ooh, is this a letter written in by one of <laughs> one of our many fans many many fans and it's not no i'd love to really i am yeah. rip apart your letters though i was hoping air. that like a soundcloud editorial was maybe becoming a fan but they're just like no we're charging you mm. now <laughs> this was a previously free service and your show is did you just say fake. previously <laughs> <laughs> previously a free service uh, i might have said previously that's something and I that's why we need you on our double money making campaign um so this is a crazy thing that's about to happen on this show. Uh-oh. Every, uh, at the end of our banter up top, which you just experienced, dear listener, it's the... we always move into a, a game. Yeah. But we got to get fucking serious this time because we have a new segment called K-Directions. What? K-Directions? <laughs> which is uh, maybe a work in, <laughs> in progress. It's a terrible progress. name. Uh, uh, corrections cage rections <laughs> yeah dave well i don't know what else 
could possibly uh, be interpreted as other than corrections. I don't think that anyone would mistake it for anything else when they hear K-directions. Is that a gross um, yes, portmanteau? Yes, it sounds like rectum. It sounds like erection. It sounds... Uh. <laughs> it's a lot of bad things all in one. Yeah. Okay, well, that's... slap Nick's name on it. Well, maybe uh, in next week's K-directions, we'll have a new correction every, for that name. Every time you say it, it hurts. Uh, and I, I'm not happy about this. As we say at the top of the show every week, we are informed experts on the cage man. And to have to go back and... Um, and say, hey, we were wrong. We were not correct about this cage fact uh, or this cage detail. And it's a, it's a hard blow. It's a big blow to our pride. But we are um, professionals, and we need to keep the record straight, the tomes of data that we are accumulating throughout making this show. We have to keep the record straight. Did you lie? No, I didn't lie about anything. Oh, I just said, what did I say? These are actually... None of these are interesting. I just have to say it. I said that uh, Tim Burton had directed Nightmare Before Christmas, which he didn't. I don't know if you know this. Oh. He, it, so uh, the title of that movie is Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. But he, I guess there was a c- conflict thing for some reason, and someone else directed it. I don't. Oh. I didn't care to memorize his name. It wasn't important. Did not see that as pertinent. Didn't relate to the Cage Man in any way. Um, but Tim Burton didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Did you think that he did? I mean, I just it's his like name's the, in the name title. is synonymous with the movie, so I was honestly shocked to hear that. Yeah, shocked. Uh, the other detail is that I said that Taken came out in 2011. It came out in 2008. Oh, this is Cage Rections. What do you, you think? I thought we were playing a new game <laughs> about <laughs> the segment's even worse now. Well, it's a really fun, uh, it's a really fun name, and I could see why it would get you into the headspace of playing a game. Well, you better get your facts right, because I never want to play Cage Rections ever again. <laughs> well, let's move into a segment where one of these, uh, one of these statements will need to be cage rected. Uh, <laughs> a little segment that we like to call Cage Facts. What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? They ain't no iguana. Yeah, there are. There ain't no iguana. What the fuck is that? Fucking iguana. Okay. You ready for it, D-Man? I think so. Okay. I gotta trust my gut a little more. And for those of you that don't know, this is uh, basically I'm going to give Derek three statements. Two of them are going to be true statements about the cage man. One of them is going to be a falsehood. Derek's got to wade into the, these truths and these lies <laughs> and figure out which of these is the one that needs to be k-directed um the first of course is uh way back when in the 80s i think or, or maybe early 90s way back in the early 90s <laughs> <laughs> almost 30 years ago now man we're yeah. old as shit yeah. um yeah. nicholas cage was playing a game of monopoly uh, and he, go on. The person he was playing with, or one of the people that he was playing with, it was none other than a young Johnny Depp. And before this was before Depp had ever considered becoming an actor. And over the course of the game, Nicolas Cage uh, really like built an attraction towards him, like a, an affinity for this guy, and was like, "You should be an actor." Got him hooked up with his agent. And introduced him to the acting world. So Nicolas Cage is the reason that Johnny Depp is an actor. Next up, next fact. Uh, uh, Lisa Marie Presley, who famously uh, Nicolas Cage married um, for just a short, I think it was like a three-month span of time, uh, had also previously had a marriage with uh, the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. MJ. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, after Nicolas Cage's uh, divorce with Lisa Marie Presley, um, he and Michael Jackson formed a friendship. An alliance? <laughs> I don't know if it was an alliance, but they they both had this person who was significant in their life for like relatively short spans of time. They met at some they function. They had like a Lisa Marie Presley jackets. Like I dated her jackets. There was just like a little pizza club. This is a crazy thing that's in both of our or not a crazy thing. I don't want to you know diminish the sanctity of marriage and this woman, but they were just like it was a shared experience, and they befriended each other over it. Ah, oh, I hate that. Next up, <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage in a 2011 interview uh, came out and said that his. Um, the style of acting that he has invented and sort of like his style of acting 
Uh, He has called Nouveau Shamanic. Oh. And it it means basically like new shaman uh, and is meant to um, sort of... uh, it's evoke the um the similarities between shamans and and thespians uh and he says that he should probably write a book about it instructing people to uh adopt the style of nouveau shamanic shaman shaman they talked about it at their pizza parties (laughs) that's where michael jackson got the idea for his uh song where he goes shaman i love that one shaman track two yeah so um nouveau shamanic those again Johnny Depp Monopoly, Michael Jackson Friendship, and Nouveau Shamanic Acting Style. Nouveau Shamanic. Okay. Um, what are you thinking, D-Man? Well, last time, uh, one, one time we played this and I thought um, he's such a self-serious, self-important guy that he would have like a shrine dedicated to his props. And that feels very similar to the Nouveau Shamanic. I got to write a book about this thing I invented. Mm. Um, but that turned out to be a lie. Um, and I would go with that as the lie. However, Johnny Depp played his first role in like when he was really, really young. I remember seeing him, and I remember him in like Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, speaking of nightmares, uh, and I'm just thinking if Nick Cage got him into acting and plugged him in with an agent, Johnny Depp must have been really young like a little kid and i don't know why nick cage is playing monopoly with this little kid that's a game that adults and children play together yeah (laughs) but it just seems a little given my knowledge of the early works of johnny depp Mm. um you just think that his his acting career predates whatever i think it just wouldn't have lined up correctly that's fair that's so you know because what does Nick Cage do in visiting Johnny Depp when he's a little kid anyway? So I'm going to say the Monopoly one's a lie, even though if it's the Nouveau Shaman one, I'm going to be upset. Either way, I hope the second one is true and that Michael and, and Nick had a little pizza club. Okay, so you are incorrect. <laughs> the uh, second one of Michael Jackson and Nicolas Cage were not friends. That, that never happened. The oh. other two are true. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline was or when that uh, historic Monopoly game uh, was played, but that, I don't know. I, were there witnesses to Monopoly? Cause... Yeah, I mean that's a that's a thing that's on. Uh, I mean Wikipedia. It's in his IMDb. Oh, it's on tri- Wikipedia. Trivia. Say no more. It's all over the internet. He's t- he's talked about it before. Um, yeah, he he just said that he and I think that they do have. Um, I think they they're both on record talking about it. But um, yeah, it's pr- a pretty crazy story. And I think it makes sense because Nick got his start, uh, I think he was 17 in his first film, um, and that was in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So it's totally believable that Depp was like a, a teen or something, and this was in the late 80s. Nick had like a bit of a film career going, and then he was like, hey, you've got what it takes, kid. Johnny Depp's been everywhere. I see like every once in a while on my YouTube, it'll be like, hey, Johnny Depp's hanging out with the Beatles, or like... Johnny Depp hanging out with Johnny Cash. Yeah, he seems like someone who's uh, probably just kind of like a tourist through a lot of people's lives. Like, he's just like has mm. this really, really eclectic group of acquaintances. Because, like, who wouldn't, who would, who would say no to hanging out with who Johnny wouldn't Depp? wouldn't want to dive into those depths. Yeah. They see his um, fucking hat with like a scarf wrapped around it and 18 Peregrine Falcon and feathers he, like, sticking out and all his leather looks strap at bracelets. You like, he knows every secret you've ever not told anyone. Yeah. Can I tell you something? I don't know how you're going to respond to this. I'm not a big Johnny Depp fan. Um, I find him a little uh, a little overrated as an actor. Ooh, you're a fool. <laughs> I, I really like him as Jack Sparrow. Of course. Um, you don't like Edward? Especially, hey, uh, especially in <laughs> in later days, because like his, his, the latter half of his career... I don't think is worth commenting on. I'm not going to start a me? sequel podcast. To... His Grindelwald, I'm very excited for. He was in that movie for a minute. But And spoilers for Grindelwald. <laughs> He's Grindelwald. Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers for that. that uh, the twist at the end of Fantastic Beats. <laughs> Fantastic Beats. Um, Beats. Johnny Depp's a talented actor. I would be so excited yeah, to have him on a project in any 
type of oh, way. You know? Great. Derek's so just laying Johnny the fucking would, uh, groundwork. Kissing some me, big old debt butt. I right am free uh, 24-7 for you, Jonathan. All right. Well, that f- freaking does it for Cage Facts. You got it wrong again, Derek. Damn it. <laughs> I'm got... really not doing well at this. It's, oh, hey, it, honestly, Dave. it's a hard one to write, and um, I'm I'm genuinely worried about this game. Like I, it, because there is a lot about Cage, but like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, just every once in a while, uh, there have been a couple shows where I'm just like, oh man, I I don't know if this fact that I'm coming up with is convincing. Like, is it within the pantheon of what a believable Cage fact would be? But he has like established such a scope of of what his life is and what has happened in his life that I feel like. I can kind of just do anything. Well, yeah, he's a shaman. And trick, yeah. Um, all right, we're moving into our main seg uh, segment where we're going to be reviewing the film, the Werner Herzog film, uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. New Orleans. What a mouthful, that title. It's so so. Let's at the start of the um this conversation before we even summarize the film. I want to like get into some of the weirdness behind just that title because uh the original Bad Lieutenant film, which this is technically like a reboot of, um, came out in 1992, uh, and that was directed by Abel Ferrara, and he was quoted after hearing that his film was going to be uh, remade, rebooted. Rebooted. His quotes on on that were, a horrible feeling, like when you get robbed, uh, and those involved with this remake should all die in hell. So he... Wow. (laughs) Yeah, he had some feelings about this. Disliked it a lot. He he also wondered how Nicolas Cage can even have the nerve to play Harvey Keitel. And... uh, and he called the screenwriter for the film an idiot. And uh, th- this gets even weirder because Herzog maintains that he's never seen that original film and the titling of this film, um, despite thematic similarities between the two films and the characters uh, in the lead roles, um, Werner Herzog says that he's never seen that original film, which is just like a weird situation. I've never seen the film. <laughs> I, I've never seen it. I maintain that I've never seen it. I the wanted, darkness came from my own heart. I wanted to make the movie knowing I'd never seen it. I think the worst thing that a man can do to another man's creative process is to steal the darkness of another man's heart. And I maintain that all of this darkness in this film was cultivated in my own heart. And then he was eaten by a grizzly bear. <laughs> yes. Um. So what the fuck? It, it, it's weird as shit. This. this First of all, the original Bad Lieutenant, if you're not familiar, is an incredible, an incredibly dark film about uh, there, there's a Catholic nun who's assaulted, and then this very, very crooked, drug addicted cop goes to investigate that, and it's it's a very, very grim movie, and uh, and it's also just like a very specific film. It doesn't at all fit into the Hollywood reboot, like the convention of what you imagine. Um, a film that would be rebooted in Hollywood would look like, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like a very unique, like singular thing. Doesn't make any sense to reboot it. But I mean, also we have like Fargo as a TV show, which is, which is great, but that's also like one of those things where it's like, Oh, this is so strange. Like, why not just do your own thing? Um, But yeah, so uh, the producers on the film and the writers of the new film, uh, the 2009 starring Nicolas Cage directed by Werner Herzog, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, uh, they maintain that it was just, the producers of the film maintain that it was just a way to get, like, name brand recognition. Which is, like, kind of lame anyway. Yeah, which is... Because even when the title comes up on the opening shots, it looks weird. Like, there's so many words up there. Yeah, it's really wordy. It's almost like you look at it and you think you're supposed to know something that you don't. Right. And and there's no sort of uh, presumed knowledge that you have seen that first film. Like, there's no ties to it. A reboot's even kind of a weird term because, to me, a reboot is something that takes a fresh uh, interpretation of a mythos or, like, a universe or a story that's been told. But really, this is just a different movie with similar, like... Thematic um, similarities. Yeah, that just happens to have, like, the same name, which is silly and... They probably should never have done that. Yeah, it's very strange, especially if your director has never seen it. Like, it's just like a weird, 
and I mean, that's that's not necessarily problematic. But anyway, let's get into the movie that we're actually talking about, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, the film uh, is about Terrence McDonough, and he is a drug-addicted, gambling-addled detective in post-Katrina, New Orleans, and he is investigating uh, the... Um, the killings of five, um, uh, five illegal immigrants, um, who, who have come in and it's basically, it's like drug related killings. He's like assigned to this case and, uh, yeah, let's just get our initial impressions. What'd you, what'd you think about this film as a whole? I would say I like on the good end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good example of a character who is a bad guy um it's just kind of not a great person you would normally never want to be invested in someone who's this bad but it just you somehow almost guiltily feel good about his triumphs yeah and you're very invested in his life and the people in his life and his story and you don't necessarily want bad things to happen to him, even though he is a big, walking, horrible thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of a, a successful exercise in empathy um, because there, he—it's about this character who is a pretty horrible dude. I mean, it's kind of like the Walter White thing, where you're still pulling for Walter, even though he becomes more and more despicable throughout right. Breaking Bad. But in this, they really don't do anything to uh, endear you to the character or show any sort of redemptive qualities up top. I yeah. Mean, the the this, the opening scene of the movie excluded where uh, he and his partner played by Val Kilmer um, go to a prison that's been flooded and they're getting a uh, someone who is currently jailed there out or they're they're getting some evidence and they yeah. hear that there's a prisoner who's stuck someone's there drowning and and in this flooded prison cell and it's a very not my job moment where you go into harm's way to save someone who's probably a piece of shit because he's like in a nasty old prison yeah um and almost out of character nick plunge lunges in and and it's like yeah it, it's saving the cat right in the beginning mm-hmm. and it's like that kind of decision kind of plays at the back of your mind through every decision he makes right. that is very opposite in morality but allows him to make um the pinnacle or the ultimate which me- meaning last uh, decision of the movie is a good one yeah that he makes and brings that same character that he helps back into it it's this yes cool, exactly like, it's redemptive. like a circular yeah the one good thing that came out of you is the only reason you even had any success or like goodness later yeah um and uh another thing about that opening scene is that nick um hurts his back when he's jumping off. he like jumps off the um second story of this prison into the water and helps free this uh prisoner and he injures his back which is a thing that he adopts in the physicality of his character for the rest uh, of the movie big time yeah it's like, like a freaking hunchback it it's crazy at first when i saw it it it, it seems a little um ex- ex- exaggerated and right? then it gets more and more and more exaggerated to where he literally is like igor running around yeah. town and it, and at first i was like oh this is going to be like overly committing to a thing but um by the time he ended it he really really committed to um like that pain and like wearing pain in that way as an actor i imagine is like a tough thing to inform have that be informed in all of your in every single scene and change your physicality so dramatically um and i think he did like a great job of it the character really deteriorates and you can really feel it throughout the movie almost to where it's like how is this guy even alive i was wondering though when i was watching it um about like Nick Cage's history with drugs, mm-hmm. um, because um, I'm sure he's done drugs. I, I have no idea. I wouldn't really assume. I think but, he's talked about it a little bit. In but the like, did he do heroin? I, I don't know. I know that he was on... good friends with Charlie Sheen. Like he's told oh. at least one story about how Sheen was like smuggling an eight ball of coke or something I, on I, a plane. I have no real exposure to heroin usage uh, besides in media, mm-hmm. and uh, he's in. Um, he takes a lot of heroin and like yeah. he really plays being um messed up well yeah 
but it's one of those things where I have, you know, no idea what like heroin if he's drawing really upon does. personal yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I know that he said in an interview that like, so for Le- leaving Las Vegas, a film that and it came out in 1995, where he in the, the film that he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for he um, and he's playing uh, just like a total alcoholic. And he he did say that he had a couple drinks before a couple of those scenes mm. and sort of like went a little method with it. And for this though, uh, he, he said that he's like, didn't do that at all. But, right. but I, I think that he probably did pull from at least experience of having, you know, people who used heroin who were in his circle. Um, but yeah, cause, cause it is affecting and it, 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 it feels like somewhat concerned with realism where, um, which, it, which is great. I think it's, one of those things where you have a film that's kind of like as tonally dexterous as this movie, like it, it gets, it's kind of a black comedy in a lot of ways. Like there are some moments that are like, this, this is goofy, this is funny. And then there's also moments that are very, very grim and very, very serious. I mean, and the goofy funny moments are the fact that it's so grim and serious. Like, yeah, especially if you take it out of context, like this is the movie. If you've seen like many, um, compilations on youtube of nick cage being wacky mm-hmm. he like pulls a giant revolver on these two old ladies and just tells them that he, that he would just shoot them right now and they're like cowering in fear in this like old folks home and like it's so ridiculous like it is. the gun is so big especially ripped out of the context of the movie because i i did as well i i saw that scene on youtube before ever watching this movie and it's just like isolated it's like this is so dramatic and feels so overdone um, but in in the film, it it feels earned. But yeah. it's also it it is also like just Jesus Christ, this is so insane. This is so over the top. Because it's like when the on the pilot episode when you talk about Ebert uh, talking about like Nick Cage being able to portray like unraveling mm-hmm. better than so many actors. It's um, like. I'm almost like get there with him on these adrenaline jumps sometimes Definitely. when it's a, when it's a movie that's believable. Yeah. Um, but like the, like to wrap up the drug use thing, um, I, regardless of, um, knowing, um, how legitimate, um, his performance might've been based off of experience. I believed him oh, yeah, totally. every time he was on drugs, except for crack at the end. I didn't quite believe that. Yeah, that's when it's like reaches its apex of just like this is insane. Um, I feel like that was kind of like when somebody who doesn't smoke pot tries to uh, act or pretend or make jokes about being high mm. that are just so like on the nose. Um, that's how it kind of felt about his <laughs> last crack scene yeah. with the infamous line of, um, "Yeah, there's a great yeah. shoot, shoot him, him again. again, his soul's still dancing," yeah. uh, which is. Uh, just like that 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 scene in that sequence almost feels like lynchian uh there there's a yeah. scene where these people that uh it, it, basically the i don't think we're gonna like get too far into summarizing uh this film because I, this is like one that i would totally recommend if you have an interest in this go see it yourself and i don't want to spoil stuff yeah and there, i mean it but, specifically has a lot of like plot twists and yeah things that are set up and pay off that we wouldn't want to like ruin yeah but basically, there's an altercation. Uh, some guys get killed. Nick had just smoked crack, and there, one of the uh, people who had just been killed is, is like break dancing. Is his like spirit is break dancing. You just get a glimpse inside of Nick Cage's head where he just wants this lifeless dead body on the floor to be shot again because in his mind right. he's seeing him break dance. And there's a really good use of music. In yeah, there, it's just like really, really uh, frenetic um, harmonica and just like vocalizing. Just like like the, the I'll guy some... who goes yeehaw at the beginning of the King of the Hill song. Yeah, I'll drop <laughs> some of that uh, music in because I loved uh, that use of music. Shoot him again. What fool? His soul's still dancing. <laughs> I would say that was the biggest blind spot of the movie for me, though, was the people. Um, I won't. I'll say that like uh, there's um, a people group that he gets in trouble with. Yeah, there's a group yeah. of people that he pisses off, and they kind of retaliate. And out of all like the factions, I guess, in terms of like the police, the FBI, the like 
drug world that Nick's a part of and like the suspects to the murders are all really believable and interesting. But this one like um, fourth party that gets invested into Nick Cage and basically threatens him and becomes a, uh, a foil to his character is really like uh, kind of a miss. Like I don't really they feel like some old like hollywood like mobster thing yeah. that's not real and it just feels kind of feel like, like actors generic italian mafia and yeah. just not that it, it we're in almost every other um sort of like ne- cultural niche that he explores throughout the film feels really textured like brad yeah. duriff um plays his bookie in the film and is like gives a really really interesting performance exhibit is in the film i don't know exhibit's full name i think he's credited as exhibit it as exhibit but um uh he he's in the film and shout out from us he's he, yeah <laughs> he's doing to use his real name if that's what he chose to use but um uh he gives like a really interesting um performance val kilmer isn't in it a whole lot and mm-hmm. he plays um nick's partner and he gives like a very interesting performance and then uh eva mendez is, is uh his girlfriend who's also a prostitute and um there's she, yeah they're sort of like um totally enabling each other she's like just as into drugs as he is and i do want to say this is this is kind of hard to talk around um so i'm just like going to like bring up this one detail that there's a point where in which she decides to get clean mm-hmm. uh and i really really liked we, we've talked before about um just um female characters in these films being used as devices for men um just like character devices and plot devices for men not having a lot of autonomy uh and a lot not a lot of agency and i went her decision to get clean i really really appreciated that it didn't have to do it didn't turn her into his savior it was much more about her Mm -hmm. being concerned about herself and and i really liked that and And it it, it kind of came in a point in the movie where nick's um kind of journey and goals uh, really required him to go deep into yeah. the drug world and start even using more than he normally did. And um, yeah, it was like this immediate distance he had to create with her because he respected her choice, um, but it wasn't a device for him, like you said. Like it was just a thing that was her own, she was her own protagonist. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, good scenes with her that don't actually have dialogue um, because I feel like. Um, the character she plays a woman who's been um you know there's a lot of like abuse on the abuse part of clients and sexual and stuff. abuse yeah. and and she probably doesn't say things that aren't charming you know mm-hmm. um and so a lot of her um journey through her change in her arc is just told in um looks at herself preparing for the next deal in the mirror um and uh moments she has uh at home or or stories nick tells her and it's yeah it's good i like that too yeah she yeah i think that she is probably like the strongest female character um that we've seen in any of these films as of yet or or at least the most interesting yeah definitely the most interesting which is Um, more important than being strong yeah um and, and i also really really like that scene where she tells him uh that she's decided to get clean like that you could have definitely played that as like Nick just pushes her away in that mm-hmm. moment of just being like, oh, no, I'm losing my partner. I'm losing the person who was enabling me all of this behavior and sort of allowed me to keep um, the feedback loop of like, this is OK because I have someone else who's doing it with me. And at that point in the movie, too, he had kind of burned any small bridges he had with yes. anyone else that made him happy or um, was on his team. Yeah. and But the way that they handle it is that there's like this there's this like nuance and like a, a like a maturity to how they respond to it that I think is like much more realistic and shows that there's like actual affection and care between these two characters mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that he is immediately going to pull himself out of that he is just uh realizes that like his shit um sh- he shouldn't like push his shit shit onto her and and like I, I feel like that just rang so authentic and so true how that scene was played um yeah yeah good, stuff. good direction in that movie all the time like lots of um subtext and things being communicated without words yeah. uh, visually uh, which is what you want in a movie you mentioned uh his his cartoonishly large gun yeah. at so a certain point in, and so that's where the, like the dark comedy bit of it comes in because if you want to if you want a movie where nick cage does primo youtube like compilation stuff this is a great one 
because he goes nuts. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely tapping into some of that nouveau shamanic that yeah. he, that he has. He's like, definitely going full shaman on this. Uh, that he like originated. It, it feels very much like old cage, and um, you know, especially because I, I mean, I think that it's pretty obvious from the conversation that we've had so far. This is like my favorite um, film next to Joe that we've watched. Um, it's like up there with that. Um, and the differences, though, are that this feels very, very much like um, just like Cage is doing like is paired with a director that's just perfect for his sensibilities as an actor. And paired with the role that yes, works so well. Yeah, no, totally. I was going to I was thinking in my head, actually, that like when it comes to rating the movies, um, regardless of where it falls uh, between this and Joe, this is so much more of a pure cage-ness mm -hmm. performance where you get the reason why he became iconic and the reason why he's kind of a different actor than anyone else. You get those performances and that feeling in this movie much more than you do in Joe, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's another instance where, where I think it's different than Joe because I think Joe is... You can look at his performance in that and be like, this is like nothing this actor has ever done. Right. It's entirely original and he's like embarking on like new territory. Sometimes he comes through the cracks. Like right. Yeah. There's moments the where it's just like, oh, this is the same guy. But uh, by and large, the character that he created for Joe is 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 singular mm -hmm. in, in, within his filmography. Whereas... And it, I mean, it was like a good direction to kind of pull back on the traditional cage for that role mm -hmm. but yeah. it was great direction to use nick cage for his natural ability absolutely to, to really smash this role out of the park <laughs> yeah i i we've talked a lot about sort of how nick cage has a look like he he looks a certain way he's not necessarily traditional leading man handsome right he, he's yeah. he is not that guy well according to us but not to him probably <laughs> yeah well that's sort of the thing is that like he he stars in these movies like um ghostwriter and stolen and that's fine but the characters are sort of that leading man stereotype in those mm -hmm. films and don't feel necessarily like he he is playing the man who he is whereas this film like his hair looks perfect. Like right. it's like this makes sense that this like guy would strung have, out dirty cop would have probably had some like hair plants to like hair implants to like maintain that like fierce widow's peak that he has. Is that what they're called? Widow's peaks? yeah yeah. And it's just like it, it, like a kind of sleazy cop who is a little insecure, like might make those same decisions. And it's just like he he fits so well. And uh, like his suit that he wears is oh basically like a zoot suit that's like it's way enormous. too big for him. Yeah. It's just this beige zoot suit that that he has like his massive magnum revolver shoved in the shoved front of his pants, sticking out his always. pants. Yeah, no holster or anything, just right like into the front shoot of his, his dick pants. off so easily yeah it's it's cartoonish it looks like he's a dick tracy villain or something like that yeah um, and he's just getting skinnier throughout the movie and like his dirty cop i don't like it gets to a point where it's like this guy is still on the force this is insane because yeah. it becomes so obvious everything out of his mouth is just a way to confiscate drugs illegally yeah and like there's there's one scene in particular that's really quite funny when you think about it happening in real time where he's got like a rookie sitting next to him by his desk in the precinct and um he just has like three encounters in a row of just straight up criminal villains coming into the precinct and talking to him either about um illegal gambling or about threats with organized crime or and it's just yeah. like so much dirty cop like one after the other yeah. after the other and this partner just keeps looking up like well that's weird like, <laughs> it, and it's played really really well for a comedic effect like the rapidity of these visits and how they're all kind of just like they they are all the culmination of conflict that have, has gone on throughout the entire film and it's just like this resolves itself this resolves itself yeah. this resolves itself and like the rapidity of that is so funny and it's like kind of bewildering to nick in the scene yeah um and he like just doesn't know how to react to it and it's just like very uh, that that scene's great is one of my favorite in the in the film um yeah uh I th do you have anything else you want to say uh about this movie or do you want to just do you feel comfortable summing feel, it up i mean i think we said what we needed to say yeah 
I mean, I don't want to get into it too much because yeah. That's I mean, sort I will say if, if you're if you're um, thinking about watching it, um, just keep in mind that it's pretty fucking graphic and grotesque sometimes, um, and it's not something you want to watch with children or like maybe Definitely. someone who's squeamish to that kind of thing. There's a lot of like uh, suggestions of rape and heavy drug use and, and violence. And, yeah. If you're familiar with like Werner and like the dark territories that he kind of yeah. like his films occupy, um, like this is very similar to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I am going to, um, I would say that this is, I, I really, this film surprised me a lot. It, like I said earlier, it felt really tonally dexterous being able to pull off um, like really, really mature, authentic scenes about drug use and drug abuse and like wanting to get clean and um, wanting to redeem yourself and like hold on to parts of your humanity when you feel like so much of it has been stripped away. And it also, at the same time, there's like, like GoPro shots of iguanas with like um, harmonica playing in the background that when he, when Nick's tripping out to simulate tripping yeah. and, and like that scene that we just talked about where um, like his conflicts kind of come to a head and all resolve simultaneously. Like th those scenes um, to, to balance those two things and allow them to exist in the same world. Those two, like a comedy and like authentic drama. So, well, it, it's tough to do, especially yeah. in a movie that is so overall just like, pretty grim and dark um and uh, yeah i would definitely give this film a good good yeah what about you d-man i give it a good good um i really i really do give it a good good <laughs> it's kind of one of those movies too that's a little bit of a slow burn where you appreciate things about it after examining it after mm -hmm. having experienced it which is usually the mark of a good movie yeah um yeah, and actually just delving into the female lead like we did on this ep kind of gave me a better appreciation of that storyline. Um, and there are some fun, laughable moments. It's a lot of finesse Werner did to, to really make this cohesive and, and not feel um, separate and, and achieved, I think, what he was going for really well besides a few little tiny misses of the um, mafia guys and and maybe like some moments at the ending that didn't feel totally deserved even though they kind of foreshadowed it but overall good good for sure yeah definitely. not at all what you would expect for like a late career nicholas cage movie that's a reboot much more of a reminiscent of a classic cage yeah definitely um cool well let's uh let's decide where this one falls in the pantheon of nicholas cage films i mean honestly it's either one or two. Yeah. And for me, I, I still, um, Joe is just like a more cohesive, effective film to me. Joe is definitely a lot more approachable for a lot of people, I'm sure, as well. Mm -hmm. Like it could reach a wider audience. Um, the only thing about Joe that's making me doubt a little bit is just that the end of Joe, I thought was a little melodramatic yeah. and didn't really have as much payoff as I wanted. Yeah, we where, both commented that it was a little perfunctory. To yeah, where this film ends in a, a really very interesting yeah. and, and kind of well put together way that kind of still leaves you not sure how you feel about this person um yet you're happy about the triumph and like a lot of groundwork had to be made to get it to end so well That's true. and i just really like some of Werner's direction that it's it's tough for me to decide which one i think is better yeah like in a way like uh there are similarities structurally to uh, like this film and Dog Eat Dog. They're both like kind of gritty crime dramas. They both are like trying to um, interweave a lot of narrative threads together. But this just is like a masterclass in like having a really, really um, plot busy film and then just like having everything pay off. Like everything is resolved in a really nice, clean way. And the payoff is, is huge. Like I really love yeah where this like and it's not even just um like the the final scenes of this movie like the whole climactic run is just like stellar in this in yeah. movie it's like the best part of it i think um yeah i i still i think that from a perspective of his performances like i kind of uh i kind of made this point earlier in our conversation to me um the, the this movie and this isn't necessarily a negative thing i think it just uh means it's a little more impactful to me personally but um um bad lieutenant he is giving a, a performance that's very much in line with um 
what you think Nicolas Cage's best work. Like when you think of his mm-hmm. best work, that it's like, oh yeah, this could go there. Um, where Joe, I think, is genuinely he he is like innovating and exploring like new territory as right. as an older actor, and is like growing in really really interesting ways. Yeah, I would I was kind of leaning towards Joe just because one you already think that, and like I like them both almost equally, mm-hmm. but also that yeah. Um, since this is contemporary cage and it's about the actor now, yeah, I would be very, I would be much more excited about another film where Nick um, uh, has his craft kind of separate from what he's always done in, yeah. in like, like you say, explorative ways. So I would be more encouraging to see a performance like his and Joe's something that's a little different. Um, and so in his contemporary work, I would, I would maybe rate it, um, just a little bit higher with, uh, Portacol being a very close second reminiscent of why we love Cage in general. Definitely. And it is, it is a hard call. Like, um, I see the argument for both movies, but I think that like, just ultimately that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. And it's a better representation of contemporary, his contemporary work, the Mm -hmm. best of his contemporary work. Right. Because it's a contemporary mindset. It's truly a contemporary cage. Yeah. Whereas Port of Call is more of a, what he's refined to. Yeah. um, Like his old, like old great days. Um, So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our standing rank now is Joe at the number one spot, followed by bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, followed by Dog Eat Dog, then Stolen, then Pay the Ghost, and at the bottom, Knowing. Oh, man. Stolen, Pay the Ghost. Those are some movies. Yep, those were some movies that we watched. Um, It's time to move into a little segment (laughs) called Cage News. What do you got for me, Dave? Just like the good stuff, right? The big news. Just like uh, our email inbox, uh, mm. Cage News this week is barren and empty. <sighs> uh, nothing happened. Nothing happened this week. We gotta give him a call and see what's going on with him. Yeah, maybe he's busy working on projects. We should just start calling his representation, being like, "Give us that fucking scoop, dog." Yeah. Well, you know who we are. Yeah, we're, we're the on number one Nicholas Cage fan podcast, probably. I don't even consider a fan, although I'm becoming more and more of a fan every every week. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I think might be competitive is I th- I forget what website it's for. It's either like Film School Rejects or it's not the AV Club, but there's a a columnist I'm blanking on his name uh, who writes a uh, a re- reoccurring column called The Tao of Nicolas Cage, and he just like wow. Is, is a big fan and i think it's his favorite actor and he just explores different projects and also like touches on his contemporary works but he's doing more classic cage stuff right but there has been uh, like i think his most recent piece was stolen so like those came out there was just uh-huh. like <laughs> a lot of buzz online for that that like two day span of when that piece was released and when our podcast released of this very very bad 2012 movie that no one should be thinking or talking about yeah <laughs> but anyway uh shout out to that guy that's the news yeah but i think dog we got you we got that number one fan podcast spot well he's not a podcast but we occupy the number one spot. we're doing great i it would be great if we could get a single email though to kind of yeah maybe that this. guy could uh email us i'm also thinking about uh i'm just gonna this is probably unprofessional like but i'll just pitch this to you right now i've been thinking about holding uh getting some audience interaction and basically opening up uh, cage facts to Twitter because they allow you to do polls oh. and have you compete uh, against the people who follow me on Twitter. I have to compete, but can't they look it up the answers? They can, but you just have to trust that they don't. I'm not going to trust them. Okay, well then we're not doing it, people. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of maybe you getting suggestions from Twitter for good lies Ooh, or that's good a great truths. One. Like, that's a great idea, Derek. I really like that. See, you bring like garbage, but I turn it into garbador. Well, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, as uh, <laughs> you don't need to insult. <laughs> we can just. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to insult me by referencing a Pokemon. Oh man! But no, it, yeah, that no, would I help really... you because you just had that dilemma. Totally, I think that would be fun. I don't know. 
the the reason is just like i don't know how much audience participation we'll get on that front um versus like voting is very very simple you know and anonymous so like mm. it, everyone can vote on a poll well, but we'll do one of the two maybe we'll switch it up try yeah. them both one week please um okay our next film is uh available on netflix so <gasps> if you guys want to watch along you're uh, it's available to you uh through netflix um we are going to be watching i think it's 2014 film called outcast oh don't have you know seen any, this one i don't know no. anything about that starring hayden christensen hey hey annie little anakin anakin skywalker okay um and maybe he's he was in takers <laughs> with uh, chris brown and then he after his star wars career and then he was in this like the, the only t- I, I genuinely can't think of another project that hayden has been in um but yeah he they both play knights in the crusades oh nicholas uh adopts okay. a um an english accent oh he's got man. like a long top bun and a big beard and he's chopping people down <laughs> he's they are spreading the word of Jesus Christ, and and yeah. This one sounds terrible, Dave. I was ready for like a sword and sandals movie, though. I just wanted to see some like, and we just watched a great one. I know. That's what I was saying. Is like I knew it was coming because yeah, we don't get good ones very often. We just had one, so you know, here we go with Sam with the sword and shield yeah. but you know maybe next to hayden he's just gonna look like the shy that's exit that's his that's <laughs> what i was thinking of modern acting he's so bad that ooh, we're gonna have to get some um sapporos for this one my friend yeah we're gonna have to drink our way through that one um but yeah. anyway thank you guys so much for listening we love you guys so much right into the show i wish I, I know that we don't that, give you. I don't know any of you. We don't, give don't you, even know you exist. I think David's making all this up just so I can be on the show because I, I wouldn't do it if he didn't tell me we were famous. I actually haven't released any of the episodes. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> keeping them all for myself. Um, but yeah, uh, and maybe another thing, uh, we're, I'm just fucking troubleshooting our podcast at this point, but uh, maybe uh, a problem is that we're not giving prompts. So we, maybe mm. we need to like provide audience interaction on the site, ask specific questions, get the emails in uh, on that front, or just tweet at us. We got the um, Twitter handle, CagePod, which mm-hmm. I'm real, every time I say it, I'm just like, what lucky guys we are. We did good there. Yeah. I mean... Also, just write in and say, hey, how's it going? That's fine, too. Yeah, totally. Uh, also, oh, yeah, I, I'm so fucking bad at podcasts. Uh, please review the show on iTunes if you wouldn't mind. Review it. Uh, Be honest. want to write, like, yeah, totally. Whatever you want to do, give us one star if you think we deserve it. But um, yeah, that that I, I, I don't know anything about podcasts, but every single podcast I've ever listened to says that that is the most important thing for podcasts it's like that's the thing that really helps us guys is just give us those reviews um because that's what like puts you like higher up in search engines and potentially gets you on chart i don't know i can't imagine what the comment like review section is going to say about us two talking about cage so they love it please uh educate me yeah yeah okay bye guys okay bye big fans